This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the NFL Valuations Are In Sports Business Podcast, The Sporting I love this. You know what I love most about this? And of course, we're joined by Kurt Badenhausen, our uh, foremost expert on all things valuation, is that, Kurt, I know you work on this for months, um, and you and I discuss it, where things are shaking out, how it's shaping up, what people are telling you, often conflicting things, by the way, but you sort through all of it. But there is still, at least for me, I don't know, did you, did you stay up till midnight to actually see the public, you know, publication? Because we did it at 12.01 a.m.? It, it was. It's still fun for me to see it in print and then promote it and send it out and start to see the feedback, what people think of all of it. Did you still get that high? I, I love that. I, I, we've been doing this for a long time and I, I love the feedback, how people weigh in. They always can't believe whether it's in the NFL with the Cowboys, in the NBA with the Knicks, how can these teams be on top? My teams don't win. They're not winning Super Bowls. They're not winning NBA titles. How are they worth this much? I can't believe it. It's not true. It's not true. You yeah, don't know what fact, you're talking about. And the fact <laughs> remains, with the scarcity value, they're probably worth a little bit more. <laughs> I don't want to say I don't love your numbers because I do, but you know as well, you have to base it on something. You have to have some concrete um, data and evidence as to why you say what it's worth. But it's, it really is impossible. At the end of the day, it is impossible to really put a price tag on ego, on trophy asset, on things like that. Yeah, so so much so much drives uh, all those factors go into driving these purchases. And you look back to the previous sale with the Carolina Panthers came in lighter than people thought, and then the Broncos bid, which was a great data point for us. Uh, there was obviously a lot of interest in the Broncos. So the Broncos sale does that mean something for the Cincinnati Bengals and at the bottom, or the Dallas Cowboys at the top? Maybe a little, but but probably means a lot more for those teams in that area, whether you're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, Seattle Seahawks, everybody's interested in. So those teams, I think it really provides uh, a, a lot of context in terms of how people are valuing uh, that tier of NFL club. So let's dive into some numbers real quick. The, the Dallas Cowboys, Kurt, you have them number one all, overall and, and the, the highest, most valuable sports team in the world, $7.64 billion. There are 16 NFL teams that are now worth over $4 billion. The average NFL team uh, is worth 4.14. That's an 18% increase over last year on that average. 
is this really mainly just the the Broncos? Did anything else major happen in the past year? I know the the the, the new media deals have been announced before last year's valuations. What accounts in your mind for that eighteen percent jump? I, I I think it's it's validation that the the labor piece ten years first sale since we've had ten years of labor piece and then the new media contracts uh, and then we saw another year where the NFL just really separated itself from the rest of the television ecosystem. I mean, their, their ratings were up 9% last year, while overall ratings are down 10% amongst Nielsen. 75 of the top 100 programs on television in 2021 were NFL football games. I mean, so they've really even further separated. It's this kind of flight to quality that you see when, when things get hard. So when you're talking about a recession, a pandemic, people gravitate uh to the top tier. And, and there, there's no comparison to what you're talking about. I mean, these European soccer clubs have incredible reach, uh, but the economics, there's no comparison. So you see a club like Chelsea sell for 3.16, I think, based on exchange rates when the, when the deal closed, uh, versus the Broncos at 4.65 and 10th most valuable team where Chelsea literally touches every corner of the globe. And the Broncos are basically a U.S sports team. Uh, and so I, I think it just really speaks to the, how strong the economics are uh, in the NFL. Who, if any, uh, what were the naysayers or th- those who try to convince you that your numbers might be too high? I'm curious, what do they point to? What do the detractors, well, they're not even detractors, what, the, just those who feel perhaps there's an inflation there. What do they say to you? How, what is their counter argument to the, the numbers that we put out? I, the counter argument is that these things aren't good enough businesses to support $6 billion valuations. But, that, but that's, that's looking at these things like they're a regular business. So, oh, it generates $150 million in cash flow. That, that does, it can't be worth $5.5 billion or $6 billion. But this isn't a regular company. They're not making widgets. Uh, there is that scarcity value. There's one... Oh, the, the, there's a reason that Manchester United sells for such a discount in terms of publicly traded companies, because there's thousands of publicly traded companies. But if it was a private sale, there's only 20 Premier League clubs. There's only 32 NFL clubs. And the NFL ones don't come up for sale. I mean, we've had one every four years uh, going back to 2012. So uh, the scarcity value really plays in. And the other problem, Scott, is really we're getting to that point where because of the NFL ownership rules, you can only borrow a billion dollars for an acquisition. So at what point do we run out of bidders? We got somebody worth $60 billion to come in and buy the Denver Broncos. That's an easy one. He doesn't have to borrow anything. But if you have to put up 30% of the equity and the 30% rule doesn't even matter really anymore talking to people because you can't raise that much uh, in limited partners. You're really going to have to put up 50% realistically for these top tier clubs. And so you run into the law of big numbers where unless you're letting in corporate ownership, institutional money, uh, that, that supports maybe uh, further increases um, into really crazy territory. I think the thing that, that, that I feel probably stronger about the NFL's business now than I would have if you had asked me a year ago. And I think the reason why, and you just, you just hinted at it there, Kurt, uh, is that the 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 Broncos sale not just 
they got the guy they wanted, one of the richest men in the world who who paid essentially just cash out, out of his pocket to buy the team. But there was a number of other fairly qualified bidders who were similarly priced in their bidding that didn't get the team. That was not true when the Bills sold eight or nine years ago when the Pagulas bought it. It wasn't like there was this vibrant auction underneath the Pagulas. It was definitely not true when the Panthers were sold. David Tepper bought the Panthers for $2.3 billion. But if David Tepper wasn't interested, it was a little bit, you know, there was a drop-off in terms of groups interested in what they were willing to pay. The Broncos sale was the opposite. It felt like it was the first NFL sale in the past decade in which there were a lot of groups that the NFL would love to have as buyers that were thinking about this thing kind of similarly priced to where uh, to where Rob Walton was. So I, I think that's the thing to me is that not only these things are getting so expensive and they're, the, the pool of people that can afford them is getting smaller and smaller, but this Broncos sale made it clear that there are a number of other people out there who are willing to pay $4.X billion for, for a middle of the mid-tier NFL franchise. And that seems like it's great news for the NFL, especially because I think you're right. I think the argument about these things being priced too high it has to center around the who is rich enough to, to, to be able to buy these teams moving forward. Well, we should note, Kurt, that you know when we get a look at the Green Bay Packers, and Evan and I have discussed this, if you look at the biggest cost, that's obviously your salaries for players. And that number is far below just the national shared revenue that each team gets. Forget about your local. So you can understand if you're looking at a significant positive cash flow, there's no NFL team out there that can say we're losing money. And you hear that in the other leagues all the time. So you can understand if you're investing in a team or an asset that is significant cash flow positive, uh, can also be used uh, as sort of the hub of other platform companies, can also be used to promote not only you, but whatever core business that perhaps you're involved in. I think it's starting, it's easy to see sort of why people get involved in this league and why they're willing to fork over the numbers they are. What would happen to Apple stock or Amazon stock if you told them this is the amount of money you have to pay your employees, <laughs> that, that you had a, a fixed, fixed cost, cost. Yeah, on, fixed cost. Right. On, on the value of your biggest expense, which is which is the money you pay the people who work for you? Uh, it is pretty it is pretty wild to me when you think about it again like that, Scott, that, that it is very different than the way we think about public. That's why. Yeah, that's why the NFL is companies. the envy of all pro sports league owners. They have the hard cap. You have a fixed cost. Your biggest cost is fixed. You know what it is. Right. And I mean, the other sports have caps, but in baseball and basketball, you blow right through it. I mean, so you, you can lose a, you can lose a lot of money in those two sports because you can spend yourself into oblivion. Uh, so so it's it's a huge differentiator. Yeah, talking to people when they look at these teams, they, they look at those two numbers, that national number, minor player costs. And they're like, it's it's 100 million right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. And then whatever happens on, on the local side. And so, you know, if you're if you're the Patriots and Rams and Cowboys, that adds significant um, cash flow beyond that. You know, if you're if you're the Bengals, you know, or teams at the bottom of the table, you're breaking even maybe on the locals. You're not generating any additional cash flow, but that national number is huge. Kurt, um, a question that, up that a, Kurt, a question that I I get asked a lot. I'm sure you do too, and I've asked you a lot. But I but I I always love to hear you answer because I think it's kind of illuminating about the process overall. The Jets and the Giants, they play in the same market. They share the stadium. The Jets' valuation in the past year jumped 18% to $4.8 billion. The Giants' valuation jumped 24% to $5.75 billion. 
what is it in the way that you do these that makes the Giants, again, when they share a market and share a stadium, so much more valuable? And in the past year, what is it that made the Giants jump another 50, 50% more than, than than the Jets' jump was? I, I, I think, uh, it, it, well, one, d- despite sharing a building and splitting a lot of the revenues and the costs, their revenue is different. Uh, we, we got our hands on uh, the uh the league's box office report that reports all their ticket revenue. Giant giants uh, were, I think we're fifth overall jets are in the bottom 10. So uh, they're, they're, the economics are different. The, the jets do not have the kind of pricing power that the giants do uh, as a legacy brand. And so that's where really you're talking about the premium. And, and there's a reason I, I think people are looking at team We had the bears with a really big jump this year too. I think people are looking those, those legacy brands in big markets uh, they are commanding a more of a premium than ever, I think. Uh, and, and so uh, the Jets do great uh, because it's in the New York market. Uh, and that's why they're in the top eight overall, um, when maybe you wouldn't think of the Jets as a top eight brand in the NFL. Uh, but because of the New York market, that keeps them up there. But there is there is a perception gap uh, between the Jets and the Giants. Uh, and, and, and the number of bidders that would turn out to buy the Giants versus the Jets, it's it's a different equation. And to your point, Evan, you know, you get uh, you know people talk about having two whales, three whales come after these things. That totally changes the price equation. Uh, we didn't see it in Carolina, and we saw it in Denver. Let, let me push back for a second there, because I'm curious if the Jets and the Giants came on the market. I'm not saying the price will be the same, but you seem to think that there's more bidders showing up for the Giants. I would still say that those whales would show up for the chance to buy an NFL team in New York, which is like a generational acquisition. I'm not so sure the number of people and who they are are different. The price would be different in the end. I'm just not so sure the number of people and who they are would be so different. I, I That's possible, yes. I would say the price they're willing to pay because owning that legacy brand uh, would be different. All right. Like, so, I don't often relinquish the number, control. The number, you, you might be right on the number. All right. Well, I don't. But I, I, still say, I still say the Giants brings out more bidders. Okay, just because of the, sort of that legacy aspect of it, just being the New York Football Giants. That legacy. You're buying. You're buying a team that has been owned by the Maris for a hundred years, and is the you know what. But you're a hockey guy, right? And you're buying an original six franchise. I mean, uh, versus a team that came from the AFL. I, I think. Uh, there is a, a, a premium there that would attract a, a different level of bidders. Everybody would check in on the Giants, and Joe and Willie, almost everybody would check in on the Jets. Joe Willie just just hung up on the on the program. That's it. <laughs> he just like he can't believe it. The franchise. So it came from the AFL. Do I have to bring up Emerson Boozer? Do I need to do that right now? Uh, and I, I don't often give up control. Just ask Gabby who knows that. But where do you want to go next, Kurt? The but I find two things really really interesting with the NFL valuations. One is real estate, sort of teams as platform companies and these ancillary businesses, real estate, and the prospect of private equity investment in the NFL. I'll let you choose where you want to go first. And then Eben, you take it away because you and I, I know, uh, have the same questions when it comes to both of these things. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they're both key areas that every NFL team is thinking about right now. And you look at the top of our list, top three, uh, they all have 
extensive operations outside just the football team themselves. So Rams passed the Patriots uh, for the first time, ranked second overall. And what Stan Kroenke's doing in LA, I mean, this is this is taking things to a whole nother level. And you guys are both very familiar with what's going on there. I mean, but 300 acres of mixed use development and just building building a, a, basically a city around a football stadium. It's uh, uh, it's just next level uh, what Kroenke is doing. So it's it's an important factor. Uh, what all these clubs are thinking about. And so they're looking, and they're looking at it's the top teams and the bottom teams. Jacksonville's going to try to do this. Jackson wants to do the same thing from a mixed use development standpoint. Uh, so, so they're all thinking about it uh, and it's a way and, and the new talking to people, it's, it's a different approach in terms of uh, because it stabilizes your revenue uh, and it allows you to, to create revenue beyond uh, the stadium um, and, and that holds up, you know, well, just differentiated revenue. And so, uh, literally like every, almost every single owner is thinking about how they can do this, um, with their current structure. On, on the private equity point, Kurt, uh, this is how I think about it. And I may be way overthinking this, but I don't think the NFL is going to allow private equity. I've, you can't overthink it more than I've overthought it over the last month. <laughs> fair, but, but I like fair. this right away. I love that Eben has just made one simple declarative statement right there. And I already know that I, I am vociferously going to disagree with him. I think private <laughs> equity is coming to the NFL, but you go first, brother. Yeah. So the, the NFL, I think other leagues made this decision partially out of necessity, right? They, they had owners that were struggling to sell stakes and particularly minority stakes. And, and, and they decided that allowing private equity ownership in their leagues would make that process easier. I think the NFL, and I would think the three of us would agree with this. The NFL is not going to make that move until it needs to that it, it, the Broncos sale, we could have envisioned a world in which it didn't maybe go that well. And maybe they were changing the rules already. It didn't operate that way. It doesn't seem at least right now that NFL owners are having trouble unloading their stakes. The, the move to private equity in some ways would, would help the valuation of clubs, I would assume, Kurt, but also be an indication that the subtext is actually maybe not so great for the NFL, right? And I, to, to me, it's one of those things that will change and would help valuations, but the only way it changes is if there is some pressure on valuations to begin with, if that makes sense. See, I don't, now, Kurt, I'll make my argument and you tell me if I'm right. I think the ability... To put a billion plus dollars in your pocket and whatever stake of the team that is differs you know, from the high to the low. But the ability to put that money in your pocket or take it and utilize it to do a real estate, to do media, whatever, to do whatever you want with it, while still having complete control of your franchise, because you can set the terms. You're not going to give up anything. You're just going to put the money in your pocket. You will still own the majority. You will still, you will still have all the say. Is going to be too tempting for many owners to give up. I think they're going to want to put the money in their pocket. But why hasn't it happened already then? Well, right now, the numbers haven't been this large. I mean, and, and you see, you, you have, by just the whole creation of the other league started it. When you see an Arctos, when you see a Sixth Street, a CVC, they're going to yearn to get involved in the NFL. I mean, now that they're in, they've got a taste, may not have been the first to do it. Maybe they thought, well, we don't need it. But again, this, isn't, this will not be based on need. This will be based on want. So we do we do disagree about this because the NFL one of the things that they have always claimed about their ownership structure is that they are family run businesses right they don't have teams that have or largely don't have teams that they have will still be family run businesses partners like they the, will the still NBA be family has. run businesses see hey Kurt tell tell Evan why he's wrong 
uh, I'm with Scott on this one. Oh, and, 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 but I'm, I love it. Sorry. Uh, sorry, Evan. I, but I'm not totally discounting the need factor that that, that also funnels it. If, if you if you if we run into the next sale and there's someone's like, listen, I, I'm going to put up four two. You bring you let me open it up to institutional money and they can fill another five hundred six hundred million dollar gap. And uh, then I'm good. I'm good with four eight. But I am not going out and raising it from other LPs. But I, I, I think to Scott's point, the NFL has always been very slow with these kind of things. So they, they took a slow approach to legalized sports betting. Now we're all in. They, they, you know, hands off on crypto while everybody else, everybody else rushed in. And that was slowly opening things up now. Jersey sponsors, you name it. The NFL has kind of moved slowly and just said, let's see how it shakes out with everybody else. Yeah, because of their we're, position we're the of strength. We don't have to do it. Yeah, because of their have position of strength, they can take their time. They can take their time. They want to see how the, they, they want to see how this plays out. You know what happens when uh, Arctos or whoever says, "I want to get out of this position." Who who are they selling it to? I mean that the exit the exit strategy is the issue. That's obvious when there's a control sale. Those you can see the exit that way. But uh, if you're trying to sell them that LP and they've been paying pretty close to full value, you could argue, uh, when, when typically LP stakes have sold for 25%, 30% discount. Uh, I think they want to look at that. And the NFL, they're super, they're more, even more private than the other leagues. Uh, there, there's a strong contingent that says, we don't want to share any. We, you know, it's bad enough we got the Packers, you know, airing a little bit of our financial laundry out there. Uh, we don't want to share anything else beyond that. I mean, the Packers is down there, you know, they report local and national revenue. I mean, the kind of bare bones, what, what is out there. Uh, but they don't want, they don't, they want to minimize how much is shared. I feel like you largely partially just made my point. Kurt. I mean, yeah, I, I do. I think I do disagree with you guys. Cause I do think that the NFL does not make this move until it needs to, that there's there, the valuations are so high right now. There's obviously a level of greed that comes along with being that rich, but the idea of making things a little bit more easier, a little bit more money in your pocket, making your team a little bit more valuable. But the downside that you just talked about, Kurt, feels like it's just but not worth I, it. I, I don't think there is downside. I mean, I don't think sharing some of your finances with these institutional funds. I mean, I, I don't see I, I don't think they're opening up themselves to sharing trade secrets there. And to Scott's point, you're talking some of these guys have nine, you know, 92, 95 percent of the team. And. Yes, could you go on the market and try to start selling to LPs? You can, but that's a pain. that can be a pain. I mean, and you're probably going to get less value than if you turned around and had Arctos write you a $750 million check for 15% of the team or whatever the valuation is. And you still have complete control. The, this is still, I mean, I don't think we're talking about handing over 20 25%, 30% of franchises. I, I, I think they would do it with very tight guidelines where you're talking about 15% or less uh, that, that would go to funds. Okay, we, we can we can drop it there. We'll, we'll, we'll see, I think, in, in some ways, right? <laughs> if this happens in two years, I was definitely wrong. And if it takes longer, then maybe there's something right that I was saying. I, I don't think we're going to... And, and this is not based on anything other than talking to people around the league and reading tea leaves. I think your white flag is going to be going up well before two years. I really do. I, th right. I think it's going to come before that. So what do you have on the... Uh, let's talk a little to Sean Watson, because why not? You hear, Kurt? The Browns were with, what, 3.1? 
I think that's what you were saying, right? Big controversy. Deshaun Watson, oh, he's suspended for this many games. Of course, all the football world is talking about it. But when talking about ultimately the business of sport and the business of the Cleveland Browns and the Haslam's, who cares? <laughs> it, it means nothing. Three, $3.1 billion valuation. He misses some games. Because the one thing we learned from the Cowboys in valuation is that the correlation between winning and valuation obviously isn't there. I mean, imagine what would be the bump, right? I think, let me, let me pump tires of your team, Evan, the Jaguars. They've won more playoff games than the Cowboys in the last, how many years? Like there's some stat. <laughs> Probably like, in the last, yeah. Yeah, a whole bunch 12, of years. The, the Jaguars have won more playoff games than the Cowboys, but there the Cowboys are sitting at number one with the star real estate, with that brand, with that stadium, uh, with the international appeal, which we know Shad Khan wants uh, in London. So Kurt, I asked you, what would be the bump if the Cowboys were a, do I say perennial contender? I just a, a really, really good team most of the time. What what's the bump there in valuation? Oh, they, they make the playoffs sometime. You know, if you remember back to our NFL event last year, we had Stephen Jones on. Yeah. And I think you might have been the one to ask them the question. What happens if you win the Super Bowl? Yeah. He said 50% revenue bump. 50%. Right. They already generate. million, $630 million in local revenue. So you're talking about, he's saying they're going to make another $300 million a year. Uh, And and there's that kind of, that kind of built up um, this pent up demand for Cowboys. I mean, people are already spending quantities of money on Cowboys merchandise and gear and coming to the stadiums and taking, they they generate tens of millions of dollars just from stadium tours at AT AT&T Stadium. Uh, I call. I don't even call it the stadium. I, I just call it the cash register. I do. I call it the cash <laughs> register. I can't believe that people are still paying money to tour the stadium. Then it's uh, however many years old, but but they do. But take me back to Deshaun Watson. Do I have to care about this from in a business of sports uh, conversation? Do I need to care about this? I, I, it has not dented the Browns' business at all by by any stretch. We'll we'll see if sponsors now that there's a decision if if sponsors start to push back. But to this point. There's been no pushback from sponsors uh, with the with the Browns. Uh, season ticket sales have been very strong. Uh, people have been protesting and speaking out against how could the Browns do this, and you know, you know, the rest of those owners didn't like to see 230 million dollars in guarantees, uh, but but that was what it took for Deshaun Watson to sign off and say, yeah, I'll go to the Browns. Um, but but we haven't seen any business pushback at all, and, and winning does matter. I mean, if you're if you're a franchise like Cleveland and you have success, uh, which the Browns have had the last few years, the Browns ticket prices were at the bottom of the league for years. Uh, but but they've been putting in double digit ticket prices for we're going on about four years in a row of double t- digit ticket prices because they've been good and demand is up. Um, and, and so if he leads them to a playoff appearance, that helps with. Price flexibility when you're talking about tickets, sponsorships, luxury suites, all those things that generate more revenue. Are you guys surprised that there hasn't been more ramifications for the Browns from the NFL about the specific structure of, of Deshaun Watson's contract? I, mean, I th- There's so many different ways we can take a discussion about Deshaun Watson. One of the things that, that has always stood out to me about this is that the Browns and Deshaun and his agent negotiated a contract that kind of deliberately undermined the financial impact of any punishment that he would face. And it seems as though if this six-game suspension upholds, according to numbers that I've seen, he's going to get penalized like a tenth of a percent of his of his contract, right? The, the, the first year salary is a million dollars, as it's been reported, uh, deliberately because he was going to be docked 
a lot of pay in that first year. Uh, and, and it's a through $230 million contract. And for, for, for the first 20% of the term, he's being paid a million dollars. I've always been shocked that there was not more kind of pushback or, or even discussion in the NFL about the way in which the, the structure of that deal seems very deliberately designed to undermine any financial ramification of whatever punishment Sue Robinson or Roger Goodell ends up handing down for Deshaun. It's analogy time, and uh, maybe Matt Whitehurst needs new trumpets. We have, we have when I go on a tangent, <laughs> Kurt, we, we ask Matt Whitehurst, our producer, to maybe get a little trumpet sound. Now I'm going to go on analogy time. Make way for a Sportico tangent. This is the same as if you were selling a house, right? This was a total, total buyer's market if you're coming from Deshaun Watson's. Convince me that I need or want to go to Cleveland because it probably it was not sort of the, the best. So in a real estate world, he waived all contingencies or they did. The sellers waived all contingencies. No inspection as is. I don't need anything. I will, I will give you anything you want for you to close this deal. That is what the Browns felt like they had to do. But of course, I mean, there are rules and structures but with, with they need to stay within. Clearly, they did. But the, this is not a surprise to Deshaun and his agent. One of the things they were concerned about was a lengthy suspension costing him a ton of money. So that's how they addressed it with a big upfront bonus payment. With By the way, I think he just got his first installment of $15 million already in his pocket. So the six, the six game suspension will cost him almost nothing. That is what the seller had to do to get rid of this house. Well, let me go with a, a, a different analogy. If he had a, a standard contract, right, that didn't have this first year thing in it, and he had been fined without pay for a full season, let's just say, and, and if the NFL owner who signed his contract had come out and publicly said, we're going to pay that fine for him, I bet you the commissioner would have something to say about that, right? This is functionally that. Yeah, that would be that would be cap, that would be cap circumvention. You can't pay the yeah, yes. but that. That is that yeah, is clearly so again, cap circumvention. Again, it just it just feels like we're talking like there's different ways to frame this, but it does feel as though there is some kind of deliberate something here that I am surprised other NFL owners or Roger Goodell have not been more well, make more vocal. Make about no mistake though, Evan. I don't. They don't need to be vocal outside of their own their own room and their own meetings. You know. You know Jimmy and D. Haslam got the side eye at the owners' meetings after that contract. You know that nobody was happy that they gave fully guaranteed money like that to the court. And you know that because look at the subsequent deals we've seen. Nothing has even approached that. You thought you had precedent, but even the other owners were able to convince agents and players that that was such an outsider anomaly that we are not going to match it. So if that's your starting point, forget it. So, I mean, uh, yeah, again, but but now you're talking about two different things, right? I definitely know that that owners felt some kind of way about the fact that he got a fully guaranteed $230 million deal. That's not I'm talking more specifically about the first year structure of sure, the contract. But sure. I think you're right. I think in the NFL world, the legacy of this Deshaun Watson contract is going to be the guaranteed sum and not necessarily the way in which he was paid in the first year when it was very clear that he was going to have to su su surrender a good chunk of that Oh, money let the smart guy in the room speak. What do you got, Kurt? What I will say is traditionally any star player is signed to a contract structure of that nature because the signing bonus then is spread out over the course of the deal. So almost every star player contract has a massive upfront bonus 
and then a very small salary in that first year. And in terms of precedent, if we go back to Tom Brady, Deflategate, his contract structure was set up almost the exact same way to look out for Tom Brady. Uh, so he paid a very minimal fine uh, because, and he got all of the money up front for that year. Uh, so, so the same kind of uh, structure was in place for him. All right, we're going to pivot, Kurt. We're going to end on the NWSL. I don't think we prepped you for that. I don't think you were ready for it, but what the heck. Uh, we broke a story <laughs> last week that uh, the New York, New Jersey, Gotham uh, were taking on some new investors. Eli Manning, Sue Bird at a $40 million valuation. Of course, that doesn't sound a whole lot when we're coming off an NFL conversation. However, the revenues in those two sports are those two leagues are quite different. We had Michelle Kang at $35 million to get the Washington Spirit. Your thoughts on the NWSL. And of, of course, by the way, we should mention, like we don't know how much money Eli and Sue put in. Like this could be one of those, you know, 10th of a percent. And I, I get it. And, and so it's an eye-popping number. But just your thoughts on the trajectory of women's soccer, the NWSL, the investors that are in place, and what the future holds for that league. Uh, I, I think they've done a great job in terms of attracting uh, celebrity star investors who can help generate attention, uh, bring awareness, and, and and help grow the league. Uh, these are these are really big numbers, uh, based on my understanding of the revenues uh, of these individual clubs, uh, and they're they're not supported by that. But uh, in, in the same way that MLS teams are, are selling for franchises that aren't supported by the current revenues. Uh, these people that are investing now are, are looking out where soccer, as we come into World Cup 2026, soccer continues its trajectory that people in the U.S. And, and if we saw the, the game uh, uh, yesterday where England won, I mean, yeah, 87,000 people. Yep. I mean, that is a, that's a significant turnout <laughs> to, 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 show, to show up for any event. Uh, and, and the idea is that uh, they can build a, a soccer league in this country, which has had lots of fits and starts with women's soccer leagues um, that, that haven't been able to grow to that point. But that soccer continues t- its trajectory and is perceived in this country like the rest of the world per- perceives soccer and, and as one of the dominant sports and uh, you know, that should be paid attention to by everybody in the country. I get the sense that just in the same way that we talked about the Broncos sale as at $4.65 billion as being a thing that lifted all the tides and, and can maybe reset the market in the NFL, Michelle Kang agreeing to a $35 million valuation in her takeover of the Washington Spirit earlier this year kind of had a similar effect in the NWSL, that that, that kind of reset the bar for the way people were thinking about valuations. I agree with you, Scott. This is a, a, a probably a very small minority LP stake in the Gotham. It, 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 I'll put more credence on this if this was a, a a controlling stake that was selling. But the NWSL is expanding, as we've mentioned. And whatever the franchise, you know, the expansion fee that they're going to get for that, uh, I believe it's the 10th and maybe the 12th franchise, whatever it is, um, I think we're going to get a sense of, of exactly where the market is right now for NWSL teams. But it does feel as though Michelle Kang and that $35 million deal had a similar effect to the Broncos deal for the NWSL. All right, Kurt, this is the really fun part now where I, I turn over the closing to Eben. He, in, in closing one, when I hit him up, he got a, a B minus, right? We gave you a B or a B minus? I think it was an A. 
Uh, no, even you said you even gave yourself, and then and then he stumbled last week. So let let's see how he does. I want to say right now he's thinking. Right now he's got the smile. You know when you're thinking about it too much, but let let's see him close it out. All right, uh, that is it for us for today. Uh, for Kurt Badenhausen on Twitter at k Badenhausen, Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick, and Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. We thank you guys for listening. This show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Thank you to Matt uh, and and Cora Veltman, the digital media editor over at Sportico, wants you to know that you can download the Sportacast wherever you get your podcasts and that we will soon be, according to Scott, (laughs) part of the Sportico Media Network.